This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. Or maybe you're listening on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. So from the present to the future, we say hello. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, January the 11th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Dr. Michael Mack explains some ways to mitigate the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder. And the Golden Globes were last night... Alex Smythe will ask the question, just how relevant are award shows? Nazreen Abdelmajid, Ramya, and within myself will share our thoughts on that one. But before you get any of that, here is the regional news update. The BC Conservation Officers Service says an investigation is underway into a legal trapping activity in a North Vancouver park. The service says it's seeking information about suspicious activity in or around Murdo Fraser Park. The service says it does not believe there are any public safety concerns, but have suggested you should keep your dog on a leash. Over to the prairies, Parks Canada is restricting personal vehicles at one of the most popular tourist destinations in Banff National Park. The federal agency announced it was closing the Moraine Lake Road to most personal vehicles and would require visitors to take its shuttles, locals, uh, local transit or commercial vehicles to visit the Blue Alpine Lake and its nearby trails. Visitor Experience Manager Jed Cochran says it was a necessary decision. We just really want to be clear with people that they need to make arrangements before they come to see Moraine Lake. That's make a reservation on a Parks Canada shuttle, book with a commercial provider, take Rome Transit. Uh, Any of those options are things they can do and arrange ahead of time. Some Alberta politicians say they're concerned it will reduce access to the area. Over to Ontario, you may be noticing a theme here, a lot of stories about green space and the environment. An environmental rights group is alleging Ontario has broken the law by forcing the city of Hamilton to expand its boundary into the protected green belts to build more homes. Ecojustice, on behalf of Environmental Defence, has filed a notice of application for a judicial review. The law change came into effect this fall and expanded the city's borders by 2,200 hectares into the green belt. Land was removed from 15 different areas of the Green Belt in order for 50,000 homes to be built. And finally, into Atlantic Canada, the PEI government has announced the location of an overdose prevention site at 33 Belmont Street in Charlottetown. The site is a federally approved service that provides a supervised environment for people to legally use drugs. It will be connected to services like housing supports and addictions and mental health treatments. The province says it consulted with users on how how best to set up the site. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So, Brock, yesterday on the Neutral Zone, which is a show that you host on AMI-audio, you and the crew had a really interesting discussion about combining the Olympics and the Paralympics and even explored the thread of the Special Olympics being included as well. Before you and I start hashing this out amongst each other, what was the consensus on the Neutral Zone on the show yesterday? The consensus and the final sort of finding, if you will, was that the place we need to start is that maybe instead of saying we're going to put it all together and i can as we get into this discussion i can delve in a bit deeper but instead of putting it all together we can start with putting almost uh one or two events kind of together in conjunction with the olympics so Mm. in the case of say say uh um track for example you might have a um running race where then you might follow up with uh uh say the the wheelchair racing right after like the 100 meter the two may coincide so that it's 100 meter and then you follow up with the 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 para uh version of that and i think that's the consensus of where we 
decided, you know what, this is probably the best place to start. Yeah, sometimes in these cases, you want to start small. It's funny, you, you and I don't necessarily share long notes about this, about our thoughts, but maybe we're on the same page here because I was thinking about the way in which we utilize time. Because something that happens for the Paralympics, probably for logistical reasons, is that it often starts 10 days, two weeks after the Olympics come to an end. And just that little bit of time maybe kills some of the enthusiasm or the mainstream enthusiasm that you might get for the Paralympic Games. So what about the idea of potentially just narrowing that gap, saying perhaps the Paralympics are going to start three or four days after the Olympics come to an end, just so you can maybe keep riding that wave as more of a continuity? Yeah, and the... the the challenge with that, and I do like the idea, the challenge with that is there is so much that they have to go through within those uh, 10 to 12 day periods. I can think of one games that we went to, which was also a portion of our discussion, one games that we went to where the elevator uh, was broken in the village mm. due to some uh, unforeseen circumstance and they could not get it repaired in the 12 days between so then they had to do a whole bunch of room shuffling and we ended up sleeping in a um in a common room um in the village where we didn't even have you know a washroom we had to walk across the road so even though i like the idea i'm not sure that sh sh shifting it down would help the cause now the thing that was pointed out to me was Okay, but that's a that's a sort of one, one in one hundred situation where the elevator broke and and you know something unforeseen happened, which is true. Um, but I I do think that between that and and combining events as a test event, maybe the place to start here on yeah. Uh, so you're thinking about important, you know, accessibility logistics. I was just thinking about <laughs> refilling the condom supply in the in the athletes' village after the, <laughs> right. after the games. Brock, what about this? What about this? I'm, I'm going to keep playing with this idea, and feel free to shoot me down left, right, and center. What about the idea of doing the Paralympic Games before the Olympics? This would be a wonderful, wonderful idea. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot, this has been put put forth a few times by a few people and i think what happens is you have a uh, you know a 21 day event ish of the olympic games and then people sort of get kind of olympic out and oh they yeah kind of sort of, oh yeah and so i feel like you know if you started with the Par paralympics and i'm using this word in the appropriate way as opposed to just you know because we got up in the morning but if you use it as the inspiration point of you know, look at what these athletes did, and then you feed into the Olympic Games. This would be this would be amazing to me. This would be the better way to start, and then the accessibility part is front of mind as opposed to the sort of secondary thought of like, oh, now that we've had you know the Olympians, now we've got to switch this into the accessible version. Whereas if you started with that, then things are you know better and probably more accessible under that pretense. Now, Brock, let's throw both my ideas aside and go back to the idea in earnest. And you and you played with it right there, I think, but let's scratch the smidge deeper. If we were to go and say we're going to combine the Olympics and the Paralympics, or we're just going to combine a certain number of events, what do you think that would mean for Parasport? What, what kind of extra credibility do you think that might lend to Parasport? I just think that it would put more... Um eyeballs on the Paralympics. I think then if you combine some events, you would then be able to say, well, the networks are already here. Uh, they're already part of it. And so then the networks would see that there isn't such a dip between ratings when, when you know, you're combining two events. The problem and the challenge that I would have with this is that you would have to then say, okay, instead of a... Um, instead of doing two events, you would have to then extend the, the whole games in and of itself. And if the NHLers, and this is just the example I'm using, if the NHLers decided we're going we're gonna to come back, then you're telling Sidney Crosby and the NHLPA, look, now you got to extend your time. And that could be proven to be a challenge. But to me, that's the least of my worries. If the NHLers don't come back, that's fine, because in my mind, it always has been meant for amateur sport. Even though I like, as a consumer, to watch the NHLers, the, the crux of the Olympics is amateur sport. And so when you bring in NHLers, although it's good consumption, <laughs> it's not the take 
of the Olympic Games in my mind. I, you know, I think that's a good topic for another day, Brock, because I have thoughts about this too as a consumer. <laughs> but let's not get too bogged down in that. But I'm glad you mentioned international hockey, Brock, because we ju we're just coming off World Junior Fever. It's still been a week since Canada won that thrilling gold medal against Czechia. But there's another really important World Hockey Tournament going on right now. It's the Women's World U18 Hockey Championships. And Brock, it's just not getting the same kind of buzz. So before we start offering criticism, I, I know some of the information is not coming out as bountifully as uh, we saw with the World Juniors, but what's the update? What's the latest coming out of the Women's World U18 cha Championships? So what we have is we have Canada is in a pool with Sweden, Finland, and the United States. Canada defeated both uh, Finland and Sweden uh, rather handily, so they are undefeated in uh, this portion of the tournament. As for the U.S., same thing. They both uh, defeated uh, both of those teams, and so sets up a matchup for today at 2 p.m. Eastern um, for Canada and the U.S. So good start there, and to me, this is a game that you've got to watch. You, mm -hmm. I've been watching part of this, and the under-18s deserve as much credit as the U-20s. So it, to me, this is this is good. This is This is a good game to watch and a good place to start if you've never watched the U18s. Did you say at uh, 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Eastern time today is the start time for yeah, that Canada-US game? That, yeah, that, that that seems like a great excuse for me to uh, get her to work a little bit early today. Yeah, Brock, it's, it's one of these things that at a certain point there's only so much attention span in the world of sport. We certainly just came off what was a wall-to-wall -wall World Junior Tournament, bowl season for college football. Now we're really getting down to business when it comes to the NBA and NHL season. So it just becomes this, this point of focus. It's hard to sort of say, we're going to watch every single sporting event, but especially if you consider the start times on these games and the significance of the women's hockey rivalry between Canada and the U.S., whether it's U-20s, U-18, or the mainstream programs, you need to be watching these games because these countries do not like each other. Yeah, no, they don't, and it doesn't matter whether it's, as you point out, it doesn't matter whether it's U-18, U-20, Canada, U.S. don't like each other, and if you've never watched this and you want to get a chance today is a good good opportunity to do that if you have the ability mid-afternoon to to do this then do that and uh, unfortunately Dave and this is not meant to be any disrespect to the the U18s and whatsoever but the fact is that I think the reason or one of the reasons people don't um, gravitate towards this event is because one it's not publicized as much and two what that means then is we're not as familiar with the names of you know Connor Bedard and we're mm -hmm. not as we're, we're not as consumed by the names and so we can immediately gravitate towards the names that we know but if we watch this we're going to start to know the names you know we know we know Sarah Nurse on the uh, women's women's program all those things it's a matter of plugging yourself in and committing to something and I'm not saying watching it wall to wall but definitely tuning in at the point to now where the event you know starts to get competitive or more competitive because it's Canada versus U.S. This is the time to plug in and and play and say, listen, I'm going to get involved here. Yeah, you and I had a conversation about the Canadian Hockey League, the the junior hockey leagues across Canada. It was a few months ago we had this conversation, and I can't remember whether, whether it was on the air or off the air. We had this chat during the test shows, but we were discussing the the we were theorizing why the CHL maybe isn't as popular as say uh, college football or college basketball in the U.S. And we could even extend that to why college football in Canada may not be as and may not be as um, popular as college football in the U.S. And one of the arguments that I made is that it was about clear pathways. There's a sense when you're watching a college basketball game or a college football game that the player you're watching in this game today is going to be in the NBA or NFL next year or in the coming years as a, as a continuity. So there's a sense of stakes. So when you're watching the World Juniors, it's sort of two weeks to like plug into this thing. You watch a 
little bit of hockey. Canada wins and beats up on a bunch of underqualified teams. And then we all get to wave the flag around and hug ourselves and be super happy. But yeah. I think one of the reasons why maybe youth sports in general, whether it's men's sports or women's sports, are not getting that same kind of love, it's because we don't quite understand the pathway. We don't understand the connection point. Because even in the case of a women's world U18, a lot of these women are probably not making the national women's team for another five to six to seven years because of just the quality of the program right now in Canada. So even though we can acknowledge the importance of youth sports, it can sometimes be difficult to give it that bandwidth because it doesn't have a connective tissue. Right. And I think to your your other point to that is that I think people stop and think, you know, whether intentionally or unintentionally, people stop and think, well, their careers started at the World Juniors, especially that that person that you didn't necessarily think of, you know, until they had a good tournament. And and that's the first connection point of people and we forget, oh yeah, but they 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 started in the CHL and they started here. And I think that's a product of smaller markets and less publicizing just based on money and it's a gate driven league and all those things. And so because TSN is able to plug in and sort of give you weeks on end because they start the you know pre pregame show you know way before the event and they break everything down and they spend so much money and all that you don't see that in junior hockey or junior leagues in general and i think it would serve better if if we were able to do that but we're not even when you get those market games in the chl on tsn they're only the ones that are of interest to people the games that matter they're not the ones where it's like middle of the season and x team is in fifth place and y team is in seventh <laughs> yeah it's always something grips you onto this game tsn doesn't waste money on putting events on they want you to gravitate towards the storyline which i don't think helps the chl yeah. in general a battle for sixth place in the western hockey league is on the line <laughs> give us your friday nights hey brock thank you for giving us your wednesday morning we'll uh, talk about the national hockey league some mid-season thoughts tomorrow Yes, we will. That is Brock Richardson. He is the host of The Neutral Zone, and he is at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's snow today with up to two centimeters expected. Minus seven is the high, and minus 17 is the wind chill. In Charlottetown, PEI, there's a mix of sun and clouds with a chance of snow in the morning, a high of minus 6, and it's feeling like minus 16. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny, a high of minus 5, and feeling like minus 20. And there is a special weather statement in effect with heavy snow and rain beginning overnight. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's mainly sunny, negative 11 is the high, and minus 23 with the wind chill. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of snow or freezing rain this morning, and then it'll be shifting to snow in the afternoon. The high is 2 degrees, and it's going to be feeling like minus 10. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's up to 4 centimeters of snow expected to fall today. Minus 1 is the high, and minus 15 is with the wind chill. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's light snow ending later this morning, and then it's becoming cloudy. Minus 7 is the high, which is feeling more like minus 18. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy, a high of minus 10, and feeling like minus 19. To Lethbridge, Alberta, where it's a mix of sun and clouds, and a fog advisory is in effect for the morning. Minus 2 is the high, but it's feeling like minus 15. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy, and they're dealing with that fog as well. The high is minus 8, and with the wind chill, it's more like minus 19. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly cloudy with drifting snow and possibly more snow falling with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 10, and it's minus 22 with the wind chill. To Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy and that fog is affecting the area as well. 2 is the high. And with the wind chill, it feels a bit more like minus three. And finally, to Vancouver, BC, it's increasing cloudiness as the morning goes on and there is a chance of rain. The high in the area is nine degrees. 
That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Dr. Michael Mack explains some ways to mitigate the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's a few days into January. You may find yourself struggling a little more than usual. You may find yourself struggling a lot more than usual. But it's possible that it's not you. It's the season. So how does the winter affect your mood and what can you do to mitigate those effects? Dr. Michael Mack is here to offer some perspective. Dr. Mack is a sleep medicine specialist and psychiatrist at CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Dr. Mack, thank you for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. Hi, good morning, Dave. So the term seasonal affective disorder maybe gets tossed around a bit colloquially. How would you define it? So seasonal affective disorder is a condition where a person develops the symptoms of depression, but there's a seasonality to it. Classically speaking, the symptoms of the depression for these folks will come on during uh, the winter months, the fall months, when we actually get a lot of overcast weather, we get less exposure to light, and we'd like to think that that's the reason why uh, folks with seasonal affective disorder develop these depressive symptoms. It's the loss of the light exposure. Typically speaking, who may be more susceptible or vulnerable to dealing with SAD? If a, if a person has a family history uh, of depression or if they themselves already had a history of depression, that uh, puts you at a higher risk of having uh, an even greater uh, development of the depression symptoms due to uh, the, the decrease in light exposure that we get during the winter months. So uh, in, when we think about, you know, how COVID's affected all of us, you know, there's been a loss of structure in our days. Uh, folks were not maybe going into the offices and then now they have to go back. These all changes uh, to one's a routine uh, can perpetuate depression and, and to develop, cause a person to develop depression. What are some of the symptoms that someone should look out for if they're potentially experiencing uh, SAD? Yeah, so the typical symptoms of uh, SAD include a loss of enjoyment and things that you like usually. There may be disturbances or changes to your sleep, uh, disturbances and changes to your appetite. Your ability to concentrate uh, might be impaired. Your energy level levels might be down. And in the most severe cases, a person may lose uh, uh, meaning in their lives and they don't want to continue with their lives, And in, in which case we strongly suggest that you ask for a medical care. On the sleep side, you'd think that perhaps a darker time would make it easier to sleep. So why does it tend to manifest in the way that we sleep? Yeah, when, when we see folks with seasonal affective disorder, we see that they tend to sleep more than usual. And, you know, some of the changes in a person's sleep habits in this condition probably have to do with uh, that change in light exposure that I spoke about. Daytime exposure to light stabilizes our internal body clock and allows us to have, have better quality sleep at night. So once we lose that regular daytime exposure to light, uh, we'd like to think that that's why the nighttime sleep changes. What are some things that, that someone may be able to do to offset that lack of natural daylight to perhaps help them restore some balance on the sleep? Yeah, like uh, because, you know, during the winter months, we are dealing with a lot of overcast weather. Uh, some patients will invest in uh, bright light therapy devices. These are special bright lights that have a brightness of 10,000 lux. That's a brightness. Uh, measurement 10,000 lux and if you expose yourself to these bright light boxes for half an hour in the morning when you wake up that's been shown to combat the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder uh is there anything around the idea of maybe avoiding that afternoon nap because i know this time of year i always get caught in that afternoon nap trap yeah napping during the daytime at any time during the day is probably bad for your nighttime sleep our brains you know the, it, it does a great uh, job of you know figuring out how much sleep we've had in a 24-hour day so if you take a nap during the afternoon, that takes away from your nighttime sleep, it makes it harder for you to sleep throughout the night. Dr. Mack, you also mentioned changes to appetite. Can you dive a bit deeper into some of the science and how the lack of light may impact our appetite? Yeah, like the the, the symptoms in of the symptoms of seasonal affective disorder overlap with the symptoms of normal depression that has no seasonality. 
in, in major depression, which is the typical form of depression that doesn't coincide with changes to the seasons, we typically see that folks who become depressed actually eat less and lose weight. However, in seasonal affective disorder, what we see is that patients increase, have an increase in appetite. They, they tend to eat more. They tend to sleep more. So that's the difference between some of the differences between uh, major depression without seasonal without seasonality and seasonal affective disorder. Let's say someone's off to the grocery store today. I, I know there's no silver bullet solution to this, but is there a dietary change that can be uh, implemented that may offset some of these symptoms? Right now, we don't have evidence that, you know, changing the types of food you eat might improve or make your mood worse. But probably the timing of your meals is the most important thing. You know, keeping your meal times regular, that also has the effect of stabilizing your internal body clocks. You know, light is the, is the strongest uh, method to stabilize your internal body clock, which is good for a nighttime sleep. But meal times also has a similar effect, just not as strong. Dr. Mack, you started this conversation around the idea of structure. It does sound like structure is a big part of at least mitigating. Like, obviously, we're not going to solve these, these problems single-handedly, but it sounds like structure is a big part of this. Absolutely. Like, um, having a regular daytime routine means that, you know, your light exposure, uh, your first light exposure is going to be at a regular time. So we, we tell folks, wake up every day at the same time, because if you do so, then your first point of light exposure is probably around the same time every day. And that sets up the stage for a, a stable internal body clock, which stabilizes your nighttime sleep. You have better nighttime sleep and your mood's going to be better. As someone who wakes up at 5 a.m. every day, I do not want to wake up at 5 a.m. on Saturdays. But I do take your advice nonetheless. I take it. I think it's fair. Uh, Dr. Mack, just as we're, uh, as we're wrapping up here, two more questions. What are some other ways that people may be able to mitigate some of the symptoms of seasonal depression? Something that we suggest to, to everybody is to increase your, your activity, your, your bodily exercise. Uh, a fancy term that we call it is, uh, is uh, behavioral activation, but basically we're just asking you to stay active. So, you know, one thing that everybody can do, uh, exercise every day for half an hour. It doesn't have to be strenuous exercise. Even if you just go inside and take a walk around the block uh, for half an hour a day, uh, that's gonna be probably good enough to make your mood a bit better. And especially if it's a day that's not overcast and you have natural sunlight, you're combining both. You're combining both exposure to bright light and exercise. And we know that those are effective ways to combat depression symptoms. And Dr. Mack, you did mention that in some cases, these can be quite urgent needs for people going through uh, seasonal depression. If somebody suspects they're experiencing seasonal affective disorder and perhaps a more urgent case, what steps should they take to seek treatment? Yeah, if you find if you find the, the symptoms that you're suffering from, like impaired sleep, changes in your appetite, your energy going down, your concentration being impaired to the point it impairs your ability to function. Let's say it impairs your ability to work well, uh, to socialize, to, to spend time with family. If it impairs those those parts of your life, then you should probably seek medical attention. And the first step would be speaking with a family doctor to see if you might. Uh, if, if they might be able to help you. And in the more severe cases, uh, you might be referred on to a mental health professional. Dr. Mack, we can't thank you enough for making some time for us today. Thank you for making us a bit more informed on this issue. Thank you so much, Dave. That's Dr. Michael Mack, a sleep medicine specialist and psychiatrist at CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Coming up after the break, I've got a couple news stories for you and I'll remind you ways in which you can reach out to the show. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I've got a couple of news stories here for you. This first one I grappled with this morning as to whether or not I was actually going to share it with you because it may fall a smidge into the level of fear-mongering, but it is part of the economic picture right now. So let's listen to the story and then I'm going to offer a bit of commentary on it. TD Economics is predicting 2023 home sales will be the weakest since 2001 in Canada. Don Kelly files this report. Economist Rishi Sandhi attributes the bleak outlook to Canada having the poorest affordability level since the late 80s and early 90s. 
He's forecasting home sales will bottom out early this year after declining 20% from peaked trough. Sandy says steep annual average price declines are expected in most of the Atlantic provinces, Ontario and B.C. The Canadian Real Estate Association has reported home sales in November fell 39% on a year-over-year basis. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press, Toronto. So here's a perfect example where terminology really matters because Don Kelly combined a couple of different ideas there, talking about home sales falling 20% year over year and 39% year over year in the fall. But that's purely a question of volume. That wasn't a question of actual home prices. Most home price declines across Canada late in the year were under 8% year over year, which by the way is still a significant drop. But when sh- when Don Kelly and this reporter and these ec- economists are talking about those numbers, they're talking about volume. They're talking about the number of houses sold. So when you think about the buying frenzy that occurred between 2020 and late last year with interest rates going up and up and up, if so many people went out and jumped into the home market over those couple of years, there's bound to be a decline in the volume moved. The other thing that you really have to consider is inventory. Because people have been told their house is going to sell for less or because they've been told the market is cooling, perhaps they're less likely to list their house. If you go through the exercise of looking at inventory, I don't know how much time you actually spend on realtor.ca, It's my number one hobby. I like spending time looking at houses, things that I can't afford. I like to envision a different future for myself. The fact is the inventory is just way, way down. So if your inventory is down, of course the number of sales you're going to have are down. So this is one of these moments where I don't want to sound like, oh, you've got to be a critical thinker and distrust the media because we are the media. I am the media. I am a representation of the mass media for you. But this is where terminology really matters in the way we talk about these things, especially from the perspective of economists, because economists have been calling for a recession for about seven years now. There's going to be a recession. There's going to be a recession. There's going to be a recession. And yet the job market and economic growth numbers just continue to outpace their expectations. And I'm not quibbling with their expertise. They're very right. A recession is coming. It's been 15 years since our last recession. It's the same way in which in 2021, political pundits were saying, oh, the much anticipated election of 2021 in Canada with a minority government on the line, when will the non-confidence vote come? When you've said it for 12 months consecutively, you're not a genius when it finally happens, when it's just a matter of time. Another story for you, the U.S. Embassy is expressing concerns over Canada's online streaming act. Karen Rebo has the story. A spokeswoman for the U.S. Embassy, Molly Sanchez-Crow, says the proposed law, Bill C-11, could discriminate against American businesses and affect digital streaming services. Crow says the embassy is consulting with American companies about the law, which is awaiting a final vote in the Senate. The bill aims to update Canada's broadcasting law to reflect online streaming platforms such as YouTube, Spotify and Netflix and would require them to help create and promote Canadian content. National Trade Minister Mary Ng has said that the Online Streaming Act is in line with Canada's trade obligations. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press. Thank you very much, Karen. I do want to remind you that we have a daily poll for you today, which you can vote on at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Twitter. Uh, excuse me, Facebook. Say it right, Dave. Get it right. Get the branding right or else you don't get to come back on the air tomorrow. We're asking you whether or not the world has become too digital. Has society become too reliant on digital systems and platforms? Yes or no? This is as the American FAA, the Federal Aviation Agency, is dealing with an outage this morning affecting all kinds of flights. We had a hack of the LCBO in Ontario last night and even issues with hospitals in Ontario yesterday dealing with cyber and systems issues. Have we become too reliant on systems and platforms that are digital? Yes or no? So you can vote on that poll in specified places at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook or at Accessible Media on Twitter, but you can also vote by writing in via email. Send us an email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback 
at AMI.ca, or you can give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-45. And don't forget, on social media, don't just vote on the polls there. Feel free to follow those channels. Lots of great content for you. I'm going to remind you of these because obviously there's a little bit of a split. So on Facebook and Instagram, it's at Accessible Media Inc. And on Twitter and TikTok, it's at Accessible Media. I don't know who we've got to fight to get that ink off of our uh, Facebook and Instagram accounts, but they're going to send me. I am the biggest, strongest member of the AMI family, except Bruce McLarian. Coming up next, the Golden Globes were last night. Alex Smythe wants to ask the question, how relevant are award shows? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You're oftentimes told to live in the moment. Well, let's look to the future when Kelly and Ramya hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio. Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of that show and joins us now for a preview. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. I guess you'll be in the moment with us at 2 p.m. Eastern. I've been in the moment with you guys uh, all week. Uh, I've been hanging out in the control room watching the show. I want to see how the other half lives. It's one of the really neat things because so many times I'm sitting here, I have no idea what the actual machinery is doing behind the scenes. So now that you guys are using the same control room as us and the show launches at 2, I skulk mm -hmm. around the building and I observe what everybody's doing. Yeah, no, it's really nice to have uh, other people around. I've been saying this because I've been working from home for the last several years. So having, uh, being able to come in and having everybody around is really awesome and energizing. Now, Ramya, one of the neat things here, not to pull back the curtain too much about our okay. new control room, is I can hear the majority of the conversations that occur down the hallway during the show. Right. And as they were testing your audio and video here before we brought you on air, you claimed that even at 10.42 a.m. Eastern time, you have yet to eat breakfast. How do you live a life yeah. like that? I don't eat breakfast. I know. Kelly gives me crap for this on uh, our show as well, but really just not a breakfast person. I usually start my days with lunch. Now, I keep hydrated, though. I just want to let people know I'm a huge fan of water, and I keep hydrated all the time. Um, but, yeah, breakfast, never been a breakfast person. Uh, coffee, tea, anything like that, like as part of that Teas, water? sometimes, but, again, not not always. It's it, not a regular thing. This is Now, okay, this, is this just like it's your own personal preference, or is this part of like an intermittent? And fasting no way like i it, this was forever forever like i've barely ever eaten breakfast i can not count on my fingers but tell you like when we go on trips or when we do you know camping or outdoor ed type things growing up those were the only times you caught me eating breakfast stuff because it's peer pressure like everybody else is eating. <laughs> yeah, if everybody else is doing it <laughs> i have to do it too we have uh, to get up at a certain time and stuff you well, know well Ramya, let's peer pressure people into watching kelly and Ramya at 2 p.m eastern time today what's coming up on the show all right, we're talking about crying. Now, the question here is, <laughs> is crying actually good for you? Does it do something nice for the soul? And we're going to discuss it with reporter Grant Hardy on our headline segment. Also, Greg David is joining us to talk about new and returning TV shows in the coming weeks. He does this periodically because of season refresh, mm -hmm. of course. And we're talking about half of Canadians looking for or planning to look for new jobs this year in 2023. Find out why that is and what's... Uh, uh, what's motivating it this time around with our friends from Robert Half? Ramya, I will confess that I do not cry often, but when I cry, hoof boy, do I let it go. A lot come out, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's therapeutic. It's genuinely therapeutic, and it does help you sleep. After a good cry, you can always get a good sleep going. Ramya, stay right there. Stay right there, because Alex Smythe is going to bring you in as part of the roundtable alongside Nazreen Abdelmajid. So let's say hello to Nazreen. Hello, Nazreen. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So now we hand things over to Alex Smythe, the conductor of our roundtable. The Golden Globes happened last night, so Alex has an update and a question. Yeah, so as Dave mentioned, you know, I, I, I was kind of surprised, actually, when I woke up this morning and I saw, I was like, oh, there was a news alert. The Golden Globes uh, the winners were announced. I, was like, I honestly did not know the awards were even happening. And... You know, when I looked at the winners, I, I kind of felt like there was a lot of 
standard confirmation of okay well these are the best films of the year this is there were very few surprises that really took place so let's look at some of the the top winners so big winners from last night included the fablemans which was steven Spielberg's partial by autobiography he won uh the best picture in drama as well as the best director of the film the banshees of in uh which starred colin farrell he won for the best actor in a comedy uh, this is one of the gripes i've always had with the um uh, golden globes they don't know what a comedy is uh but it's also one yeah that movie was comedy. that movie was not funny or musical it also <laughs> was were... it also wasn't very good oh that's now that's a hot take we can get into after dave um but i agree there were some jokes in there but okay they won for best comedy best actor in the comedy and best screenplay everything everywhere all at once which i will argue was definitely a a comedy heck yeah um one for best actress and supporting actor in a comedy series for michelle yo and ki hung kwang um austin butler who performed as elvis he won for best actor in a drama uh kate blanchett won for her role in tar guillermo del toro won best animated feature for his pinocchio one of the three that came out this year by far the best and then of course golden globes uh ties in tv as well so house of the dragon won for drama and abbott elementary won for comedy i think none of those winners really surprises many people now maybe dave has a a, a gripe with the uh, uh the banshees of indesheeran but i want to ask everyone like how do you treat the award shows these days? Eight, and did you even know that the Golden Globes were happening last night? Because I really did not. Nisreen, let's start with you. I did not know they were happening. I didn't see any ads or promotions. Nobody was talking about it after the show. Um, so it was a shock to me when you when you sent out the email. I'm like, wait, what? That was yesterday? <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I, I feel like they were lacking on social media ads and and things like that they would have been they would have been more popular or maybe somebody slapping other people made it popular back then um but yeah uh it, it's worth noting here that like this is not what used to be the golden globes this is a reiteration of the golden globes after uh, a lot of diversity issues were uncovered at the hollywood foreign press they had to rethink all of this i, I don't even th i don't even think this was on nbc last night like the whole way in which the golden globes are perceived has changed but i know someone who did know that these were on last night it was ramya amuthan because you did a little bit of a preview on Kelly Co. yesterday. Yeah, we did, and um, but I still had the same reaction that uh, Nazreen had, which when I found out that the Golden Globes were happening, I was like, really? Like, are they trying to hide the event? Because I think they are. It was very, um, as you said, Niz, it's not, it wasn't publicized. I, first of all, uh, I'm like out of the loop anyway with TV, which is why I'm so glad we have Greg David coming on every other <laughs> week to like update me. But, you know, it, it just feels uh so out of the blue and i guess you're right dave because of all mm -hmm. the things not just the golden globes but so many award shows are facing the controversies the diversity challenges the you know are we gonna change or are we not kind of people putting your, their foot down boycotting all these different things um to to help them you know step it up or hide and as you can see, that's what's happening. Alex, I'm turning your own question around on you, but then I'm giving you authority to hit each of us with it individually. Alex, how do you treat these award shows? Yeah, so for me, I kind of, like I, I talked about, I, I looked at the winners. Okay, there's no surprises. Yeah, yeah, the, I, I kind of been in, am in agreement kind of with most of the, the choices. So I almost use them as a confirmation of what I already kind of, came up with in my mind based on the the films and tv that i watch now i haven't seen them all but you know even from what i was hearing from other people from other reviews i i'm not surprised by any of the ones not that i named that these were the winners uh so i typically use them now as just kind of confirmation okay yeah everything everywhere all at once was my favorite movie okay it didn't win for best picture but the michelle yo won and and the supporting actor won Banshees of Inisherin, I thought was uh, very well done. Okay, so that one uh, won, and so I, I kind of view those as like, yeah, okay, check that. Uh, I'm, I'm in agreement. It's okay. So, what about you, Ramya? Do you use it the same way, or do you kind of view them a bit differently? 
I almost um, a little bit of what you're talking about is confirmation for what I already thought was good or what's already popping and popular all over the place. But also, I I wonder um, if I should be taking it as confirmation. You know, like it, it's one thing to see something trending everywhere or to hear your friends and family and colleagues talk about like you got to check this out. It's um, making uh, you know making news everywhere, but. Does, do we really need the award shows? And I think that they're kind of lacking in being that, exactly what you're talking about, like in being the place that everybody goes to to say, hey, this is what we need to check out because it won the Golden Globe for, it won the Oscar or it won the mm. uh, you know, Emmys. I don't know if we're doing that as much anymore. It's more of an afterthought. If you consider that across these categories, let's say there's about 15 to 18 movies that are represented is it worth saying that those 18 movies end up being the sample size for what is monoculture, right? That if you end up watching these 18 movies, you know, the five that are nominated for best pictures, whether it be the comedy or whether it be the drama, as well as the actor associated to them for a few of those other awards, you'd say, okay, I'm going to devote, let's call it three hours per movie. I'm gonna de dedicate 60 hours of my time to watch these 18 things. Am I going to be in touch with monoculture? And, and, and when I say monoculture, I mean, I mean sort of a singularity that exists in terms of culture that connects us across the board as a mainstream culture. And I think even if you took that time to watch those 18 movies or then watch those 18 television shows, I think you still wouldn't be. There's just no monoculture left. Mm -hmm. This is one of these things that I look at the snubbing of Top Gun on here. I don't know how Top Gun was in a different category than everything everywhere all at once. Like they were both to me sort of action comedy movies, but somehow Top Gun is a drama and everything everywhere all at once is a is, is a comedy film. But I, I don't know, Nazreen, I, I get to thinking that like, even if I were to watch every single thing that the Golden Globes highlighted last night, I would still feel like broadly out of touch with mainstream culture. Absolutely, absolutely. I feel like with award shows, it doesn't really influence uh, my thought to watching these uh, movies or shows that did win an award. So it really didn't matter to me. I mean, yeah, it confirms, okay, this was a good movie, this was a good show. But if it didn't win, I wouldn't be like, okay, yeah, I'm not watching it anymore, or I'm not going to devote three hours of my time watching this movie um so yeah i agree with you i just don't feel like there's monoculture or anything like that like it's it it yeah it's different now oh i feel like chuck clusterman here talking about talking about <laughs> monoculture it's so exciting it's my lifelong dream to be chuck clusterman uh, alex the, the thought on monoculture here is it possible that broad general interest award show is the issue here rather than if there was like a horror movie film awards a science fiction movie hor uh, film awards like is it possible that we're that like we just cannot create monoculture anymore and we shouldn't even try I think part of the issue, yeah, certainly with the Golden Globes specifically, I, I think they're trying to do way too much and trying to highlight and award way too many different categories. I mean, they're the only one I can think of that does film and television that it's like, okay, well, why are you trying to do both? They're their own separate entities. They're not really related to each other, and there's just so much out there. I think the other factor is we're living in an age where there is so much more content available to us than ever before i mean even you go back 10 years ago well you always had to go to the theaters well the theaters would only have you know eight ten maybe 20 screens uh, per uh, a really big movie theater that's the number of movies that you could watch at any given time yeah <laughs> you know, oftentimes they were doubled up or tripled up if it was a popular movie like top gun maverick you know they're they're going to be playing on multiple screens so you're you're only really exposed to maybe eight to ten films at a time whereas now there's literally thousands that you can access because every single uh platform has hundreds of movies that are coming out all the time from all over the world you are finding ones that wouldn't have been released in theaters before now getting a chance some of these bigger ones are still going to the theater so it's not like you've gotten rid of the movie going experience you've just added this whole other subculture to it so I think there certainly is that, but on top of it, we are now living in this era where we are getting instant um, like reviews. We are, mm -hmm. are measuring it 
after we are filming it, we're not and, and viewing it. We're not waiting for these award shows to come out and tell us which one was the best one. Well, we that's want... a good thing. That's a good thing. I don't want to leave telling is. me what I like. In fact, if they told yeah. me the bench, they're telling me the benches of Inish is good. No, it's not good. Don't waste your money. I again, I will. I, I thought <laughs> it was a it was a very fascinating a, a movie. I think it was it was deep. It was personal. It was telling comedy. Absolutely not. It was the farthest thing from a comedy, even a dark Irish comedy. Which, yeah, there's yeah. quite a few out there that I love. It was a metaphor for the Irish Civil War without without actually yeah. exploring without actually exploring the theme. Um, Alex, I've got to move off you for a second here because I want to give okay. Ramya a chance to get in on this monoculture thought. Ramya, we heard a couple positive affirmations there. Your thought on the idea that perhaps an award show, a generalized award show, is actually trying to do too much. Yeah, like they actually are, because if you think about it, or at least the way I view it, the pressure is off, you know, like social media has got our back and uh, everywhere else has got us back. Like, like Alex, you said, there's instant reviews available wherever you go. In fact, you're trying not to get reviews sometimes, you know, like you want to get your own <laughs> thoughts in on this TV show or movie before everyone else tells you how it is. It's actually ridiculously influential. So almost like... As I said earlier, by the time you get to the award show or wonder if you actually care what they think about, um, it's gone. You know, like the, the pressure is totally off and there's no such thing as monoculture. There absolutely cannot be because as we talked about with music and Spotify and streaming services before, everyone is listening and watching everything. And it's cool to be niche and it's cool to be underground and all this other stuff. So if you're you know, trying your heart out to, to keep in touch with what everybody else is watching and listening to, it's a project. We've only got about a minute left here, so I've got to hold you to this answer quickly. Ramya, if you could win any of the major awards, the Oscars, the Tonys, <laughs> the Grammys, take your pick, which one do you want to win? I don't know. Isn't there like a best of all time thing for Grammys? I'll take that one. <laughs> the Lifetime Achievement <laughs> Award. Okay, Ramya, shooting big. Nazreen, what about you? Which one do yeah, you want to win? I'd say Grammys. Well, you're actually a musician, so that kind of makes sense that you would want to win yeah. a Grammy. This this yeah. tends to reason. <laughs> Alex, what about Alex? What about you? Yeah, I'm not a musician, so I'm definitely gonna go of all of them. I'm gonna go with an Oscar. Although a Hugo Award would be nice too. I, I go off yeah. the board, go literary. Oh, there we go. Literary award. You see, now we're talking. Now I was trying to think about some kind of major journalism award. Like if we said it was now with Dave Brown, with Pulitzer Prize winning uh, author yes. Dave Brown, like then we'd really get somewhere. But uh, that's another dream for another day. Ramya, have a great day. Nazreen, you enjoy your day as well. And Alex, we say goodbye to you. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't you worry. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. I didn't say anything today that was worthy of cancellation, at least not until I'm reminded of it in the post-show meeting. So until then, I am Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.